Welcome to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast, weekly doses of language learning tips and motivation to help you become fluent in any language. With me, Ollie Richards. Hello. Bonjour. Hello. Hello. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Ollie Richards, and this podcast is all about language learning. Uh, so if you have questions about languages, you're trying to learn a language or two or three and wondering how to do it, this is the place to be. You can send me in my, uh, your questions and I have a great time answering them. And uh, sometimes going completely off topic. And I've got a feeling this is going to happen today because I'm joined by a couple of people who have got an absolutely fantastic background. And they, don't, they, they probably don't know this yet, but I'm going to tell them where our backgrounds actually intersect. But I am joined by two people. Firstly, Ruben Addery, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, is a linguist, polyglot, dialect coach, and Fulbright scholar, and Dustin Luke, a content creator, travel show host, and a YouTuber with over half a million subscribers. In 2020, they combined forces to create Spanish speaking hacks, where they help learners sound more like native speakers and less like gringos, which let's face it, we, we all want. And in this conversation, we're gonna dive into their fascinating backgrounds, along with some practical strategies for improving your accent, and also exploring some of Ruben and Dustin's wild experiences living in Argentina. So guys, welcome to the show. Hey brother, good to be yeah. here. Thanks for having yeah. us. It's always, it's always fun talking live with two people because like you never know exactly who's gonna, who's gonna <laughs> answer. So I'm gonna do my best to kind of direct questions to, uh, to, to you guys, but you know, feel free to, to jump in. So, ah oh man, I don't know where to start. In fact, I know where I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start with Argentina because so yeah, as I was um, as I was uh, as I was doing some some research for this and just um, making sure that I, I was familiar with the background of you guys, uh, I look I've just spent like I just went down this massive YouTube rabbit hole watching Dustin's videos of uh, Argentina and well all over the place to be honest, but with an Argentine sort of twist to everything. And uh, I actually lived in Argentina in, in Buenos Aires for, for about half a year back in man, it was 2005, so some time ago now. But uh, it's one of my favorite places on the planet. And, um, and I just had some such fantastic times there, wonderful friends and, uh, you know, amazing food and wine. It really was like one of the best, uh, best times of my life. And so, you know, I was just thinking when I was watching you, Dustin, doing what you do, I was thinking, mate, Maybe I could have done that if I'd stayed there and I hadn't, I hadn't left and gone back home. <laughs> but I'm sure I wouldn't have done it as well as you. So first of all, why Argentina? Oh, the, the, the biggest question of all, why Argentina? Um, I guess for me personally, when I started to learn a language, you know, I kind of got started a little early in, in elementary school where they kind of gave us 30 minute lessons every week. Uh, and then I got to high school, you take a couple of years. And I just kind of always found with that young exposure, very minimalist young exposure of the language, I, I kind of felt I had an advantage uh, as my family moved around to different schools. And I was just like, oh, I, I feel like I, I, I can do this or, or at least have advantage compared to other kids. You know, never really got to a level, you know, in high school, you don't, you don't really know how to distinguish different accents yet, or at least I didn't. And once I started getting into college and exploring a little bit more, I studied abroad in Spain and then I got exposed to Argentina and then it was like, boom, I didn't really, I had really no idea what was going on in Argentina. I, you know, you could only make those classic references. It's like tango or a gaucho, or maybe, you know, talking about um, 
Malbec wine. But once I heard the Argentine accent, I was like, oh, me encanta, me encanta. I just thought it was so different. This, this Italian twang, the way they speak with their hands, uh, this, the, the fact that it's just kind of like this, I like to say, lost European city, bueno, specifically speaking about Buenos Aires, lost European city found in South America. You could walk through the, walk through the streets of Buenos Aires and see all this sort of like French European architecture, and people walking around with this, speaking Spanish with this Italian twang, but they're, it's actually Spanish, so they're not Italian. And uh, the passion and, and just a combination of tons of different things that made me think, wow, this is unique, different. And it's also, it's a clear indication of where two worlds or different cultures kind of all came together and there salió el argentino. Argentine rose from this combination. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of combinations and kind of creating this you know, hybrid of things. And Argentina to me was that place. And it was one of those places that none of my friends or family or anyone had talked about or knew about and had never visited. And so I kind of felt like I discovered this, this new world, this, this Narnia, this yeah, special was, place. <laughs> that's all sounding very, very familiar. I remember one of my early, one of my, one of the experiences that sticks out in my mind is, um, was just being in, in one of my first days in Buenos Aires. And I, I remember just kind of walking down the street and you know, I was like early twenties at this point, and I and I would see other people my age, uh, like walking down the street the other way, except they were walking down the street reading Shakespeare. As they were walking, and I thought, man, hang on, <laughs> like this is I haven't seen this before, and this is pretty cool, you know. But they're not like obviously I got some people listening to music, but a lot of people are reading books and reading like books of like European literature and stuff like that. And I just thought, this is this is different. This is like this is a crazy mix. And then the, like the longer, the longer I spent there, the more I kind of started to understand actually how Argentines actually consider themselves. I always thought they consider themselves more European than South American, which is a whole different uh, discussion, but yeah, it's, it's cool to hear that. Ruben, um, how does your, how does you put your, your passage, your, your path into Spanish on, on the map for us compared to, to Dustin's? Cause I imagine it wasn't exactly the same. Sure, of course. The background's more in uh, linguistics for me. I, I actually studied Spanish in university at the University of Michigan, and it was very prescriptive and very, this is how you learn Spanish. And I, I just knew that I didn't want to learn to lose the language a couple of years out. <clears throat> I knew that friends of mine had gone, studied the language and had forgotten it or gone into different fields where they didn't actually need to use it. And so I was determined to just move somewhere, go somewhere, because that's what you hear, just move somewhere when you're in your you know, early 20s, it's easier, you have time. And so I was trying to take this knowledge of all the grammar and all these perfect rules and writing essays and poetry and, and finding some kind of practical application to it, because I surely couldn't have a conversation, confidently at least. And my choice to go to Argentina was because of a professor of mine, um, beautiful person, <laughs> and just uh, just a beautiful accent. I was just attracted to the, the a lot of things, <laughs> and then the the voice in particular being such an outlier from all the other exposure I had to it. Mexican, Spanish in particular, Spain or uh, Chilean, Venezuelan. They were all kind of mixing together until I heard this one professor, and I'm like, oh, where's that from? And 
almost like spinning a globe and just kind of choosing a, a place on the map to, to take on your, you know, to continue your studies and to, to, to use the, to get the practical experience was, was what happened for me. I finished studies, I worked a ton just to save up money and, and do like the longest backpacking trip I could think to do. And it started in Buenos Aires, couch surfed for my first time and kind of really felt that, 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 uh, that culture, that language standing out. It was linguistically one of the most unique, uh, you know, uh, versions of Spanish I had ever heard, hearing it more consistently now than not just one teacher, but having everyone talking that way, it was like, oh my gosh, that wasn't just this one person doing it. They do that here. They all, <laughs> they all sound like that. And so it was, it was, it catches your ear, not only for non-native speakers, but everyone in you know Latin America and Spain identifies this accent really quickly and for better or for worse. And they, uh, and they usually, uh, for you know, standing out and being able to imitate something, which is kind of my my shtick, my 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 deal, it's it's lovely. It's a great thing to be able to to, to hear because you you do start to pick out the nuances that you might not have heard before. It's interesting you said, but for better or for worse, because there is a lot of kind of like cultural politics around the Spanish speaking world, isn't there? Especially in South America. Um, just curious about that. Do you do you guys? Um, do you guys, how much is, how much of it is for you is Argentina and how much of it is, is Spanish? How do you think about that? Well, uh, maybe I, I don't understand completely the question. What do you, what do you mean specifically? Yeah, as I, was, as I was asking the question, I wasn't sure that I completely understood it as well. I guess like, <laughs> I, <laughs> I guess how do you, how, how do you see, um, let me, let me give you an example of why, why, I, why I asked that, because I remember when I, so I learned my Spanish from, um, from Spain, from the Canary Islands, and then afterwards I went to spend some time in Argentina. And then when I, get, when I, got, when I got back to see my friends from Spain, they, they basically fell about laughing as soon as I opened my mouth, because uh, they heard how the accent has changed. So how do you, how do you in, the big context, in the whole context of the Spanish-speaking world, how, how do you relate to that, to that, um, that Argentine identity question? Yeah, um, so... <clears throat> As I've kind of mentioned before, I, I love what stands out. I love something that's different. And, and this is by far one of the most distinguishable accents. Uh, um, and, and also it's kind of a, an attitude, if you will, not, not like, yeah, for better or for worse. And um, it kind of creates this persona, you know, a persona that, that, that you carry with the, the accent and the language and the intonation and the, um, intention and so when it comes to Spanish because I kind of obsess over accents too and I love to distinguish within seconds where someone is from you know I can also point out you know yeah the, the Spain the Spain the accent from Spain is also super super different the accent from Medellin is super super different you could tell or from Chile and uh, you know although Argentine is super super different when they're you know you got the small. Uh, or you've got the, you know, the bulls, you're going to find that in other countries as well, but the Sheismo, you're going to mostly find like Uruguay, Argentina, uh, maybe a little bit of uh, Paraguay, por ahí. Um, I think it's totally fine. I mean, it is, it is different. And I do like, for example, I'm currently living here in Mexico and 
when I do look at a, a Mexicano and I say like, Donde queda la calle? No sé qué. and I'm like, <laughs> it, it feels funny, you know, because you know, you're always going to get like a reaction out of this yeah, person. Like, I, that's what I, I might actually like, I might actually change over sometimes and say calle just for, just to kind of make it, it, it easier. Uh, yeah, but so there are moments where I will decide or not to like go full on RG. If I'm with Argentines, olvidate. I'm going full on Argentino and turning it on even more. Uh, or if I'm with like other people that there's like a little bit more confianza, I'll probably also turn it on. But it, I don't know. It depends on the situation. Yeah. So you do turn, you do dial it up and down then. It depends. I on will. The I will. Yeah. I've had these moments for sure. I, yeah. I, I admit that. I definitely admit that. Yeah. That's interesting. So I'm curious how, about how, how you guys um, started to partner up and work together then, because I mean, it seems like, uh, like, um, Dustin, you had a, a kind of more natural path into Spanish, perhaps, and, the, and then Ruben, you came from a more academic background initially. Um, so you guys, t- tell us about how you guys met and then what led you to actually work on this project together. Ruben, yeah, so I'll, 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 I'll take it. I'll, I'll, I'll start out. Maybe we can like bump set spike it. Uh, I actually met Ruben uh, back in 2013. I was producing a show called Gadis and Los Shangis. And the premise of the show was to take these viral videos in the Spanish speaking world that you know most English speakers had never seen that could have 50, 60, 70 million views and show them to, to, to gringos who have Spanish as their second language um, and allow them to comment about it and you know watch that react. And we started casting those people in Buenos Aires with another friend of mine and Ruben came in and I was just like, pero tu papas son argentinos. You know, I was blown away by his Spanish. I thought it was incredible. Um, he, he also was just really, really funny and buena onda, good vibes. And, you know, even besides the idea of him being casted for the show, it was just like, we, I think we even hung out that day or it was like the next day with friends and we, we just kind of like hit it off. You know, he, he totally understood my perspective and the way I saw the Argentine culture and he would, you know, often even one up it. And I was just like, this is great. You know, we got to hang out all the time. We, we stayed in touch for years and years and years, always kind of talking about like this idea or throwing out ideas about, you know, how can I, how can we partner up some way? How can, you know, because I knew his, his ability to speak several languages. I mean, currently like teaches five, but I know he speaks several, maybe even more than that. Um, I was impressed and, you know, it's like, well, why don't we come together? I have this, you know, social media following. And I know a lot of people are constantly asking me like, how can I, you know, how can I improve my English or how can I improve my Spanish? And Ruben is the person, perfect person to partner with because he's the scientist and he like, he breaks it down to a to a perfection and a technicality and it's someone to be able to pass off to when working with uh, a project like this. Um, Ruben brings all the imitations and all the laughs and good times, but he also knows how to break it down very technically. And uh, me being more of like, you know, face or internet presence, uh, someone who's a little bit more anecdotal, a little bit more uh, decontracturado, a little bit more informal in, in my way of teaching. Uh, it perfectly balances with Ruben being more technical um, and scientific in the, the realm of, of pronunciation. Yeah. You, Ali, you have subtitles on this, right? Just in case the Spanish words that come out. Dustin's mouth yeah, be, yeah. Uh, received by the audience. Just yeah, so we got we got subtitles on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's uh, it's it's true. Honestly, I was in Argentina that year, 
for a second uh, uh, a second year teaching and I was trying to do my thing and tr- I, I really taught English as a second language as I started this business and I, I started imitating the students. They're like, Ruben, Ruben, uh, do I have an American accent or a British accent? You know, they would do this type of question. I'd be like, it's so fun to imitate you guys. And and, and not only that was, was like kind of fun to, to you know, play into that, what I learned from that imitation was that I could express to them, to the students, how I was doing it. Say British accent, British. You have to actually change the I to an E and the R is flipped. And you, you go through all these things that I'm like in my head doing without, you know, consciously thinking about when you're just imitating something. And, and it kind of evolves to this. I could explain to you how, to, how it's done. I could really just kind of break that down. And once you start to understand, once you break it down for other people, you start to understand it better yourself. You start to say, yeah, and, and also this, and you start to you know, fundamentally see what that language is made of because maybe of their accent in English when, when uh, you know, foreigner, foreign, non-native English speakers are speaking, I would start taking their, their accents and, and just drawing conclusions about Spanish. It must come from their native language. And, and yeah, pairing up uh, with Dustin was, was just great. Being able to reach more people, of course, and talk about what I do with, uh, with others, but more importantly, to, to find someone who kind of gets what I have been feeling. Because it's a lot of a, it's a solo thing when you're just like imitating people and it's, like, it's a kind of like a, a trick or two. And, and Dustin knows whenever you start talking, people are like, Argentino, Argentino. You start to feel like the, the pride towards this culture, but um, you know, combining both the theory and the knowledge and these nuances in the accent and, and being able to then now show it to other people was, was, uh, was amazing. I can't yeah. wait to continue this. No, that's, that's so cool. And then everything, everything we do, like the, you know, the people that we meet and the partnerships that we form and the friendships that we make. I mean, this is, this is what, this is what life's all about, right? You've got to, you've got to, you've got to grab the, grab the, the bull by the horns with this, with this stuff and, and then see where it takes you. So I think it's really cool what you've done. So let's dive into actually what it is that you, that you're doing now because because you you guys are so you're so interesting um and i don't say that to everybody who comes on the show but like but your background is so interesting and and in particular i mean what's striking is your accent like both of you guys you got your, your accent and pronunciation is just is like phenomenal so when you're teaching spanish um do you take like a, an accent or pronunciation first approach or do you have a more integrated approach, kind of philosophy towards, towards, um, towards uh, teaching and learning? Yeah, there's there's a definitely a, a framework that we follow, which uh, which combines a few different things. There's five uh, five eyes. Uh, in, in general, first we're trying to identify. That's the first one. We try to identify what stands out. In most cases, this is like, what is your native language doing different from the target language? use terminology like target language and all that stuff but identifying is anybody can do this in most cases spanish is pretty straightforward for example we know that you trill an r you you know flip an r in spanish whereas you don't do that in english that's an easy thing to identify uh, and then we indulge we, part of this is just sounding a bit silly and trying to do something foreign and outside of the comfort zone um, after that, we imitate. This is not in, in a chronological order. It's just part. These are five parts of the, you know, of the of the puzzle. But we're imitating, in many cases, both the wrong 
I'm doing quotation marks here, air quotes, the wrong accent and, and the right one so that you know how to practice. And if you're by yourself, because we can't be there for our students all day, every day, but we want them to know in the lesson that we're going to tell them how to confirm that pronunciation so that they're not solidifying these bad habits in, you know, in their personal practice. So they're imitating not only the, um, you know, the perfect way to say it and how we want them to say it, whatever is good or bad. They're also seeing how a, like an American accent would sound or a British accent would sound in Spanish so they can see both. After that, we do, we invite, that's part of the, the, the five eyes, inviting resources, inviting, of course, this is where shows and movies and podcasts will come into play. Whenever you can listen to something, you shouldn't just be listening to it in the background, but rather confirming those nuances in pronunciation with these different resources. Uh, one that we love to use is Uglish, uglish.com, if you guys are familiar. It's a, an ability to put in a word on, uh, any webs on this website and it generates a playlist of YouTube videos that contains that word. And you get this targeted listening that you wouldn't get from just waiting it out and hope to hear it in your next conversation. I hate when that's given to me, like, listen for that next time you're in conversation. I'm like, okay, like that just will never happen. Or I, I won't remember to do it or I, I'll miss it. And so we invite friends, family, most people we work with, many people at least have partners who are uh, non-native speakers or native Spanish speakers. And so they're really invested, their whole family and extended family needs to learn Spanish. And so we have, have them invite help, you know, and just confirm what we know is, uh, is the case. And the last one is implementation. You have to try to eventually go from this ability that you have by yourself and with us as coaches and, and really actively try to work it into the conversation uh, even if it's just one word or one sound at a time. I love the fact how uh, <clears throat> that you've, you've, you've got such a holistic approach because I, I mean, long-term listeners of the podcast will be, uh, you know, <laughs> we talk about this so much, but language learning is so much more than just the pronunciation or just the words. Like success, it comes from such a, a longer term view and, and making it a part of your life. And especially for people that don't necessarily have that kind of, you know, as I said, they're learning Spanish, they don't have a Spanish speaking environment around them. It's so important to try to create that because if you don't, then you're just, it just becomes something that's eternally abstract and it has no real meaning in, in, in your life. So I, I really, I really like that framework, the five eyes. That's nice. Um, I can see, you know, Dustin, you were talking earlier about Ruben's, um, it's the, the, the scientific mind. And I can see that coming through in his explanation of all that methodology. How do you, how do you find that your experience coming from that, from, from, from the place that you have, what, 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 do, what does your experience bring to the, um, to the teaching? What, what, what do you find that you can, you can add value maybe in, 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 in ways slightly different to Ruben? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I just like, number one, you know, I'm, I'm kind of someone who is just kind of like actively showing that I'm putting myself out there and kind of getting my hands dirty and getting in the, with my, having my YouTube channel and just showing that, Hey, these are a lot of observations that I made at through, through a lot of humor, um, and imitations of my videos online that, that had gone viral. Uh, it, it was just, you know, observational humor. You can't go wrong with that. 
and to see them go viral and have so much, so much success was just in itself uh, went to show that like, hey, people are consuming this, they're appreciating this and they're sharing this and showing others. And then, the, like I said, the other one, which was like throwing myself into situations where I'm filming myself with Spanish speakers and they're all around and it's very uh, descriptive pronunciation as Ruben uh, maybe already mentioned, I can't remember, but this is, this is the, the idea that you know, hey, this is all conversation and a lot of the rules are being bent and, and it's not, it's not uh, prescriptive pronunciation where it's, you know, word by word, words, how, how they sound by themselves um, and show people that, hey, you could do this. serving as an inspiration. We're like, look, this guy not only made all these videos that went viral, he also was handed or, or uh, offered to do a, a travel show across Argentina on national Argentine television. Uh, and it worked. You know, I think I also come from a, a perspective of enthusiasm. I bring a lot of enthusiasm to the group and, and with through language in general, one being humor. I like to learn language and, and create interactions or connections with people through humor. Uh, a lot of the times, you know, when you go into a, a conversation, it's like, what's going to happen? Are we, we're going to determine which language is going to do, is going to dominate. Is it going to be English or is it going to be Spanish? Right. And there's this battle and sometimes people hold on tight and they're like, no, I'm going to keep speaking Spanish. And the other person keeps speaking English. It's like, eventually maybe somebody gives up or not, you know, you got to hold on to that. Uh, but then the other side is showing enthusiasm, anything that's going to create uh, an enthusiastic sort of connection amongst the people involved in the conversation. Um, will create a better connection and allow people to let their guard down and open up a little bit more. And even if, even if you create one moment that's, that's funny and have the person laughing or a moment that's enthusiastic and have the person feel connected and excited, that's enough for that person that's listening to you in Spanish, that native speaker to be totally fine with you to make mistakes the rest of the conversation. They just know that, hey, your effort is there and your intentions are good. And so I'm going to stick through this with you and they'll help you along the way. They're just excited that you're excited about speaking to them in their native language. And they, the respect that, oh, it's, it's beautiful. And especially when it comes to pronunciation, that's why we're, we're really promoting pronunciation specific Spanish course. Spanish course. It's not so grammar heavy, rather it's like, hey, how can you build a better connection through sounding more native or, or even with your word choice, you know, the dialect that you're using. Um, and so I'm here also for support and, um, and just kind of like this, this internet social media reference that people can be like, okay, this is a, you know, who are these guys? Who are these two guys showing me an ad? Or who are these two guys that are popping up? Like, uh, are they legit? And then, you know, they can definitely see that, hey, I've been doing this for a while now and, and got a following. So yeah, man, something I, must be working. As I was uh, just watching your your various videos, I was like fighting the urge just to get on a plane and just fly 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 straight back to Argentina. <laughs> so yeah, it's, just, it's it's so important. I I, I really I really um, respect this. Let's let's talk about pronunciation then, because this is clearly a focus for you guys. I mean, Ruben, you are you've got a you've got a very kind of deep background in this. You're a linguist, you're a dialect coach. You work on helping people modify their accents. So what are a few practical tips that people can take away to actually, let's say that, that you're say that someone who's been learning Spanish for a while, um, and maybe you can you could apply this to, to any any language if you want. I'll, I'll leave that with you. But someone's been learning a language for a while, but they're kind of struggling with their accent and they really like to sound more native. Like what are a few practical things that you've seen work to help people really refine their accents? 
Yeah, that's a great question. It's also important to, to consider this for other languages too, because Spanish is uh, a, a really widely spoken language, of course, but a lot of things that we learn as polyglots, learning two, three, four, five languages are um, you know, able to cross, uh, to transfer some of those skills to other languages. But I would definitely say that one thing that I notice people, it's, it seems to kind of, uh, it seems to, to fall to the wayside is this idea that letters and sounds are the same thing or have this one-to-one -one relationship. Uh, now, I'm not saying that English letters and Spanish letters will sound the same. Maybe you'll know that those don't. What I mean is like within Spanish, you could have an R at the beginning of a word that's trilled rojo or Ruben, Ruben, my name. Or uh, you put the same R in the middle of a word like pero or para and the sound changes. And sometimes people assume that Spanish being a phonetic language is just gonna have this one-to-one -one relationship. This actually applies to other letters aside from R's. D's and S's, uh, L's that you wouldn't expect. And so I guess the tip is consider that not just the drastic changes like the trilling of R's, which always is this thing, is the only different thing. There are these subtle nuances with D pronunciations sound kind of like a TH, lado, Estados Unidos, where you don't hear this Estados Unidos, D, this flap or tap as we know in linguistics. So being able to take away, I guess, the, the, the signs of your own native language, which is kind of the key. I consider tier one, if you can break this down into three different tiers, you know, um, the first tier would be um, in, in general trying to, um, just trying to avoid miscommunication. That's the first stage. Like just try to make sure that they know what you're saying. That's why we're here to communicate. The second tier then moves into the whole avoiding sounds from your native language, avoiding English phonology in my case. Um, and the third thing would be the whole, how the heck, uh, where are you even from? That's that stage where we, Dustin and I get reached where, where eventually people start to say, I mean, you know, it's initially a party trick and a flattering thing. You sound really good, you sound really natural. But what we're going for in our classes, in our, in our lives, is how did you do that? I don't even know. You sound just like my brother-in-law. You sound just like X you know, person. And it's, it's usually because, and we can articulate it, it's because I'm pronouncing the Ds different. I'm, I'm, I'm reducing the vowels. I'm, I'm changing some, some nuance that y'all don't do. In, in your native language. And it's, it's, it's coming out in the form of this like native sounding accent that everyone's kind of deceived by. You mentioned two things there, which are first of all, the challenge of actually getting accurate pronunciation in the target language, but then also interference from the L1, from your, from your mother tongue. I'm, I'm curious from your perspective for your average um, North American Spanish learner, which is the bigger challenge? Is it actually getting the pronunciation accurate or is it losing the interference from, from your mother tongue? I think it's a combination. You have to understand both systems because one can help the other. It's really kind of a, a maybe uncanny, coincidental type of a thing. The idea that, a, for example, using this example of a D, that a D in English like a, a word, I know that Ali and Dustin and I have well, have three different accents perhaps uh, in English, but saying a, a D or a T between vowels in English, like better 
or ladder or or it is you know saying those quickly between vowels you get this kind of spanish r sound so if someone can utilize that like literally tap into our not literally tap it but tap into our uh into our language and be able to say oh that's the same it's spelled differently but it's just the same phoneme it's the same sound that way you don't have to say well that's an english sound that's a spanish sound and keep them on separate sides of the room you can say, let's use the language. Maybe you learn, a, you, don't, you already know Italian, you already know Arabic. You can use a lot of the language abilities to, to make a connection and not have to forget one and, and, and acquire the other. We really try to avoid this separation between, you know, losing an accent, reducing an accent, and, and, and adding a skill, and, and maybe adding to what you already know. They're, they're all uh, gonna help each other instead of thinking of them as, as you know, removing things from your L1 and, and trying to just do the L2. And how much do you think that there is a, um, a kind of psychological impediment to developing a good accent? Because I often, so here in, in, in the UK, French is the, is the foreign language that most people learn because, of, you know, because it's the, 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 uh, the country right next to us is what tends to be taught in schools. But the French accent is very, very different from the English accent. And it's also from an English perspective, if you hear French, the kind of the noise, the, the sounds of the French language are the same, often the kind of same sounds you'd make in English if you wanted to come across as a, a little bit sort of dismissive or arrogant. It has those kind of overtones, right? And which is rather unfair on French, but it's just the way it comes across in, um, in English. And so often I remember being at school and taking these French classes. Um, and then whenever people, had to speak there was like a kind of thing among all of us where we would really try our hardest to avoid making any kind of french accent because this made us sound really silly and so it made me think a lot about like how much how 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 much does our own identity actually get in the way of us really trying hard to to make it to to to, to, to imitate a, a foreign accent is that something that you um uh, that you see happening <laughs> I was just going to say, <clears throat> this kind of touches along uh, one of the things that I always uh, preach in these classes and when I'm teaching language or teaching Spanish or, or English um, is this idea that, yeah, you when you when you start out, you have to put on this new persona and a lot of it's acting and a lot of it is just becoming and being this part. In the beginning, you have, you know, version Dustin Gringo from the United States and you have version Dustin Argentino and like those two people are very different at first and and being Dustin Argentino is going to seem unnatural whether it's fun for me to do it or not it's just going to like you know my personality might not shine so much or it's going to be a different personality and over time I'm working to kind of combine the two so that so that they can kind of like overlap and I can be the you know just show some overlap and, and be kind of the same per person and in both languages if if you're in the beginning i just feel like a lot of the people when it comes to achieving a specific accent a lot of people aren't willing to put themselves out there and be this new kind of spanish-speaking attitude person um, and it requires a lot of concentration and concentration that you maintain and hold on to for like the whole conversation um, and people often aren't willing or capable or even think about 
like stepping up into that level of concentration and being there during the whole conversation because it's it can, it's exhausting it's super exhausting um but once you do it long enough you know eventually it becomes something that seems so natural and i mean i admit to like i get exhausted and i will be lazy and, and not be my my classic Argentina, Argentina. Uh, but when I get into conversation with people that maybe I, I, I don't know as much or in, you know, I really turn it on and be it to the fullest. What were you going to say, Ruben? I think it's especially with, uh, you know, peers, like if you're learning Spanish in a class with teenagers or even older college uh, age, university age peers, it's always a daunting task to try to sound like a native. Like no one's trying to do that in class. It's not cool. And that's where this indulgence step comes into play because while you might not sound or feel comfortable doing that in class, it's kind of this like language learning paradox where your, your, your bad accent, again, air quotes here, uh, your bad accent in the classroom is really good because that's really where your, your friends and everyone appreciates you. You're just kind of fitting in. But once you go into a conversation with a Spanish speaker, native Spanish speaker, that bad accent, you know, it's not going to get you anywhere. And you got to really turn it on and do this whole yeah, personality, this acting that Dustin was describing. That way, you know, you can avoid the, you know, the, the frustration or all the jokes about your trying. And now you can actually communicate because that's kind of what the language is for. It's almost like put, putting it an, a foreign language out of place by putting it into a classroom in a, in a, in a non-native country. Dustin, so you have hosted a primetime Argentinian travel show in Spanish, and that is something that a lot of people are going to hear and think, you know, wow, that's, you know, how do you do something like that? Now, I imagine that your Spanish was already awesome before you got that gig, but I'm curious, when you had to do that, as you were, when you got started doing that, was there like a level of Spanish or a level of, um, of, linguistic ability that you had to learn in order to kind of grow into that role? Yeah. So when I was offered my show, I had already been making YouTube videos for about three years. Um, so a lot of that learning curve of just being in front of the camera, being comfortable with my Spanish, whether it was good or bad, um, you know, that was a really hard part at the beginning, which is like, look, you know, you're not, this isn't your first language. You're going to make mistakes. I was so, I was so uh, insecure about that at the very, very beginning of YouTube. because I was just like, oh, I don't want to make mistakes and be ridiculed for it. But eventually I was just like, you know what? I got to, I got to just keep going with this and, and it'll get better. Just trust that. And that's one of the part, biggest parts of learning a language anyway. It's just trust that the light is at the end of the tunnel and you're getting there and you're going to get closer and you got to make a million mistakes before you can even begin to get upset with yourself. Um, you know, when it came to making content on TV, it felt personally, it felt very natural. Um, there were certain certain sort of uh, formats that maybe didn't feel natural. And that format meaning like, okay, we have to we have to create this um, what they would call in Argentina the copete, which is basically just like the presentation of the episode where you're in a certain situation. You're like, you know, kind of like intro into what this whole episode is going to be like, you know, kind of create the, the struggle or whatever, you know, the, the episode is going to be about uh, and those learning curves or, or closing it and bringing it all to a close. The, they call that the remate. 
um, those things. But other than that, because of the amount of time I'd been on YouTube and been comfortable and just talking to a camera in my bedroom or wherever it may be, uh, it felt totally fine. And, and, uh, you know, whenever I was given an opportunity to speak with someone else where I had a character that I could like interact with, whether it was my good friend that was part of the show with me or a local Argentino, um, that's when I really felt comfortable and was able to shine and just, you know, you got, you gotta, there's a, there's a level of, of, of trust and of intuition when it comes to speaking another language. And, um, I think one of the biggest barriers, and this is one of the main things that we work on as well in our, in our course is, you know, we, we have people record themselves and submit it to our, to our private group where not only are they going to have to one, be comfortable with talking to a camera in, in, uh, in Spanish, but also be comfortable with submitting it to this group where all the other students are, and then also wait for our feedback because we give, we'll give feedback at the end of the week. Um, and we've had several, several people come to us and be like, you know what, this was one of the hardest things that I had to kind of get over in the beginning, which like, I couldn't believe I had to record myself, but you've, you've kind of made me desensitized a little bit to how I sound and who I am. And, and I feel comfortable with that and getting over this, this confidence hurdle, as we all know, you could know all the words in Spanish and know exactly what you need to say, but then it's like stage fright or whatever, and all goes out the window. Um, yeah. And so this is something that we really push for people is to, you know, keep that confidence alive. One of the, one of the things in uh, sort of navigating higher levels of languages as well is to be able to kind of turn it on, even if you don't feel like it, right. Even if you're not in the mood or you're feeling ill or you're tired or whatever, to kind of be able to rise into that, into that persona. I'm always reminded, um, a lot of people don't know this, but Martin Luther King used to wear glasses. Um, but it turns out that he didn't actually need glasses at all. He wore them because he found that whenever he put them on, he just stepped into these new shoes and could become the person that he wanted to be. And there's such an amazing metaphor that I think works really well with language learning as well. Um, just kind of becoming this, this, becoming this, this person, becoming this new, uh, it's like a character in a play, isn't it? I always like to think of language learning a bit like, a bit like theater. Uh, and, and it's and it's just that and that's I guess that's why I was asking you about about the the TV because I can imagine that there were some um, differences in dynamics as well between I mean I, I, I all your your YouTube stuff looks like it's all unscripted was there any scripting on the on the TV stuff that and, and if so did, was that how was that to get used to yeah so um, there was absolutely some scripted scenarios and um, you know this is the the beauty of of doing multiple takes as well <laughs> um, and just working like in the entertainment industry and, and filming yourself, you know, uh, you get desensitized to that too. You're just like, okay, I got it. I could do another take. Let's do another take. Um, but and for the scripted stuff, were you reading from teleprompters or did you have to memorize it? No, I had to memorize it. I never okay. had to read, read anything. Uh, I had to memorize it or, or kind of create the scenario in my head, you know, be like, okay, here's the situation. How can I improvise this? Uh, which was also a lot of fun and, and such a such an unreal experience. You know, I never forget the first time we went and I sat in the in the studio, the massive studio, and they invited us to kind of present our segment, uh, which is called Dos Shanquis Sueltos in Argentina, two two Americans on the loose. In Argentina, they call uh, Americans Shanquis. You know this, yeah. Um, and uh, you know that was that was wild. There was a lot of pressure there. Uh, but, you know, the fact that I was interacting with the host of the show and, you know, we kind of had like a, a 
a fun connection. It all it all worked out. But when you say like you have to get into this character, maintain this level of concentration, it's so true. And if you, uh, you know, if 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 you kind of like aren't willing to put yourself up into that level, it's going to show. It's going to show with with your attitude, your body language, and your accent. And so uh, we try to keep people working in that high level of concentration yeah. to be that character. And when you think of this, of the kind of that kind of pressure as well, I, I find it when I, the more I thought about that, the more it gave me this kind of newfound respect for like gigging musicians and like pop stars and stuff like that. If you imagine you're a kind of Taylor Swift type person who, who's out there touring, doing massive long tours, and you've got to be out there on stage every night, giving 110% and you're dancing around to like, like really physical, you're using your voice. If you're sick or you're ill, like, sorry, like no day off. You've got like 20,000 people there come to see you. Like this, it's a level of pressure and professional commitment and dedication that's just out of this world. And obviously you don't need to be quite at that level to learn Spanish, but but there is an, an element of that um, for sure. Guys, it's been absolutely um, fantastic to talk and I, I've got a, a list as long as my arm of, uh, of more questions, but it's going to have to wait for a round two. Um, Ruben, maybe you could tell... Uh, everybody listening where they can go to find out more about you guys and what you're up to. Absolutely. Uh, together, we, uh, we are uh, hosting weekly workshops as SpanishSpeakingHacks.com. You can find out all the information about our group trainings. We also do private coaching and we have some courses coming out soon, which will be a combination of either snippets from our, our lives, which were super fun and, and, you know, conversational, but very, very, very entertaining with these kind of takeaway clips, takeaway tips. And, um, and also, if you're learning English as a second language and you're trying to master your English accent, uh, American accent in, in our case, but uh, English speaking hacks, we can try British accents too. Well, uh, we'll be, maybe uh, call, call up Ollie and see if we can get some pointers too before we do that. But English speaking hacks and Spanish speaking hacks.com both will uh, we'll give you all the information you need. Awesome. Yeah. And we actually do have a lot of, uh, a lot of um, people listening who are learning English as a second language. Often, uh, often a lot of people will email me and say, yeah, I listen to your podcast for English practice, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, so, so, you know, guys, it's been a pleasure and um, I look forward to the next one. Likewise. Thank you so like, much. Likewise. Thanks a lot. It's been, it's been great. Thank you. All the best. You know, on this podcast, we spend a lot of time talking about quite advanced concepts and ideas in language learning. But I also have a series of courses which are for beginners, because actually more often than not, people come to me and say, look, Ollie, I just want to learn this new language as a complete beginner. I want to learn Spanish or learn Japanese or learn French. You know, what do you have for me? And this is why over the last few years or so, I've been developing out this series of courses, which you know, I, everyone claims their method is the best, right? So all I'm going to say about these courses is that I've created these courses the way that I would like to learn a new language myself if I were starting out from the beginning. So, you know, it's it's my thing. It's my it's what I recommend. That's as much as I can say about them. The special thing about these courses, the unique thing, is that you learn through story. So, you know, I don't go in for any of these kind of technology gimmicks and apps and flashing lights and funny noises and things like that. I teach you through story. So right from day one, I get you reading a story in the language. You're reading, you're listening, right from the beginning, even when you don't understand very much. And then 
I come in and teach you through these video lessons. I help you uncover the language from the pages of the story, which is why these, course, these courses are called Uncovered Courses. Spanish Uncovered, Japanese Uncovered, Italian Uncovered. It really is a way to learn the language to a very deep level. You won't get the same instant gratification that you get from Duolingo, but what you will get is a solid foundation and thorough education in the language that is going to give you all the groundwork you need to go on to become fluent in the language. If you'd like to find out more about these, simply head over to IWillTeachYouALanguage.com and look for the Courses option in the menu bar. That's IWillTeachYouALanguage.com and click on Courses in the menu bar. That will show you all the different uh, beginner courses that we have uh, in all the various different languages. Once again, that is IWillTeachYouALanguage.com and click on Courses in the menu bar.